Ordinarily, we never pick up a book to read it. We don't listen to a talk, or we don't sit down to have a private conversation with someone unless we have a practical purpose, we have a problem to solve, or we intend to gain something from it. And of course, that purpose is always seemingly predicated on that four dual basic urges of mammon, that I ought to gain pleasure and escape pain, or I want to gain attention and escape some disapproval, or I want to get over this sense of inferiority and feel superior one way or another. I want to be able to control people. When we have this purpose, we block off the listening. We are listening for this particular purpose, so we turn off everything that doesn't seem to relate to it, and that which I feel might relate to it, I twist it around so it will fit. How much do we miss of what is said, what we read, because we're reading it with looking for one certain thing. We can go to sleep and go over rows and rows of paragraphs, because we were scanning it to see where it would give us something we wanted. It is most interesting to hear a book quoted or even to hear self-quoted. It is most interesting. It doesn't come out at all like what's been said. If you had said it like the person quotes it, it would have solved a problem, and that was never the purpose of it in the beginning. We approach things with a problem. We're never quite willing to let the problem sit for a while. We're always so busy finding solutions to problems, and most of what we call problems are solutions to something else. It is in all probability that we have a lot of solutions and really no problems at all. What is the solution to growth of a city? Isn't it pollution? So maybe we can't stand too many more solutions. The problems, of course, are the outcome of the mind the self that is struggling to change something. That's the problem, the mind that is looking to change something. The self wants to change what is and what it ought to be so it will bring pleasure and comfort, attention and approval. An entirely different type of mind or awareness must be present for at least a few minutes while one sees what is true. When you listen to anything, when you read anything, if you can set the problem aside, disidentify from the problem, and I does the reading, and don't allow the self to get in and do all the judging. You know, A says one thing, B says another, and the turmoil is going on to one doesn't know what one has read. That's why it quoted rather oddly, because maybe A quotes it, maybe B quotes it, who knows? And you're not looking or reading for a purpose of solving a problem you will find that there is possibly something that is described that is true. Possibly if you're just listening to a discussion and you're not listening for a certain purpose, you're listening to see what is being said. You're not going to apply it to making more money. You're not going to apply it to uh, feeling better, or you're not going to apply it to make your husband or wife behave better, or how to get the children to behave. You're just simply listening to see what it said. It might be interesting. You see, if one is interested in everything, one is listening. 
But if one is in one of the states of being of those walking sleep, one is identified with the self, then one is listening to get over an anger or to find how to get a revenge or how to get over boredom or how to get over fear or how to get over resentment or something or how to get even, maybe. You see, just listening has its own effect. It works on you, not you on it. What you're listening is you hear a fact. You hear a statement. You are paying attention. You see it as a what is description, and you see some value in it, regardless of what. It's just a truth. You know the old statement is that it isn't all your struggles and efforts that makes one free. It is the truth that frees one. But you know, we seldom ever just listen to see what is true about what's being said and what's the value of it. We're looking at it for a purpose to do something to serve mammon with it. You, can, you, you can't use anything that's true. It has its own effects, its own worth, and the very fact of discovering it, of uncovering it, brings about a complete revelation in the whole state of being, because that truth begins to be acted upon by X. And one discovers truth, one doesn't use truth. Now that state of being, that total revolution, that transformation within one, most everyone seems somewhat interested in. We'd all like it. We don't know what it is, but we'd like to have it. But you see, we're a little afraid also of a revolution in the being. What we really want is a revolution in the problem, so the problems will all go away, but we have never seen that the ideal made the problem. We're trying how to achieve the ideal. So you will be working with many people as the months go along, and all of them will come to you with a problem. If you get caught in the trap of trying to solve the problem, they have caught you. If you get them to see the ideal and not the problem, and they see what conflict, the struggle to change what is into what ought to be, that they have put seen what is, but they didn't like it, and they put value on what ought to be, and so they're in a state of frustration, which is called a problem. They want something to be fit some ideal. And, of course, we can't try to help them get that ideal because that would be contributing to their delinquency. We can only work the other way to see if we can get them to question the whole purpose of living. But can't coo a while and let them go. Practically every person that comes to any of us has a certain thing that wants to be corrected, straightened out, or something done to it. They don't come, usually to find out what they can is making the problem. They don't come with the idea, I don't know what's wrong, something is. They don't come with the idea that I am totally lost and I don't know what the purpose of living is. So we can let them work in the outer realm, the outer school, so to speak, for a while, and see if they can begin to pay attention to self. The first thing is to pay attention to self before one can do much else. That wouldn't harm anyone if they don't do it, even though you tell them about it. And it doesn't 
waste anything if they don't do it. They come in wanting a person straightened out. Or they know what they need to have if they could just find a way to get it, and they would like for you to get it for them, if possible, or at least tell them how to get it. We can only go back to the teaching, and we don't get sentimental and start helping people to get their ideals, even if we knew how. We wouldn't do that, because as long as we aid them to expect to work towards some ideal of non-disturbance, of non-challenge, that they can't see that everybody has a cross to bear, the cross of what is and what is the value of what is. And we all have to take up our cross. And then if we use the teaching as a light, Maybe that cross changes very decidedly, but it will still be what is and the value of what is. But as we see different, what is seems to undergo a transformation. And what is of value in what is, as we see differently, certainly undergoes a transformation. <clears throat> and of course, all the people that come, come to you with all their problems, seemingly. And that problem is out of their own confusion and you certainly can't straighten it out. And you can't listen with wondering, what can I do about this? We can only listen to them. And as we listen, we will hear the self. We will see the picture of man drawn out in words, very clearly in front of us, if we just listen. Then we can truly see the truth of what that person's difficulty is. And we don't try to straighten out all their little things. My husband drinks and doesn't treat me nice. My wife nags me. My children don't obey me. The boss is overbearing to me. He is very demanding. And he doesn't care a thing in the world about our rights. And so on and on and on. I think it was O. Winston Churchill who made a wild comment one time. He said, most everybody stumbles over truth every now and then. But they usually get up and dust themselves off and go on like nothing had happened. <clears throat> the way that we manage this is it doesn't solve the particular pressing problem that they wanted changed at that time. So then, of course, the truth that was handed out, that your whole difficulty comes from another direction, Let's study self so that we might could see well about the problem. So sometimes we might use the idea that instead of solving the problem, let's see if we can understand the problem. Of course, the problem always turns out to be the self sooner or later. Sometimes this can get something started to work with a person who has a potential that it is only a way to see if you can actualize the potential to get them to see that there must be something haywire in the purpose of living that they have, this whole idea of being non-disturbed. But basically, most will not hear anything you had to say. There is nothing accomplished, nothing occurs, of course, when they only listen for a problem, how to solve a problem. Today there was a letter came said, please send information. My husband's in a mess, and I hope he will read something that will straighten him out. He obviously didn't fit the ideal. So as we see what to work with people, 
we see that there is first a necessity to get the person to see that they have to find out something for self, that they can't go solving problems because most of the problem solving only results in solutions which are then seen as problems. And the endless cycle of this wears them out. And it's useless to work with someone unless there can be something done. If the person is not in a position to work, to be knowing self, to consider something and to make some discovery of what is going on, there is somebody else that one could work with to more advantage. Who knows, maybe next week, next month, or next year, that person who couldn't work today may get in such a state that their necessity is so increased that they will begin to question the whole purpose of living. Do you see? One of the possibilities that we get caught in is that we have a tendency to be sentimental. The poor person is begging, possibly with tears in their eyes, with a quake in the voice, and with a woe-be-gone expression that it looks like one would have to be very hard-hearted and very cruel not to try to help them in some way. But you see here is where one sees what is and what is the value of it. And unless one sees that there is no value in being helpful and it is in all probability harmful. And as we said, one of the things that the person that has some awareness does is considered, yes, but is harmless. And to be harmless requires great consideration, considerable cogitation, if we please, but to be helpful is so easy. I can be helpful any minute. I can give a kind word. I can give a little reassurance. I can do all manner of things that will be helpful. And the person may be very appreciative of it and give me some approval while I'm doing it. But I have been harmful. I was not considerate. I did not make a contribution. I aided the person staying in bondage longer. Sometimes it would seem that one almost has to turn away in order to not see the agonizing expression on the person's face, to hear their quavering voices. But here is temptation. Temptation to be helpful, to see an ideal. You see, Mammon in all of these tricks brings some pathetic poor person to you. And that person says, you always look so happy. You always look like a light is shining off of you. And I know that you could do something for me. Won't you please? And if you try to give them some comfort and some pleasure and relieve their pain a bit, you may have made them dependent on you and you may have gotten a good feeling out of it, but Mammon caught us. He got us back to seeing the ideal of the world, that the whole idea is to gain pleasure and escape pain. And maybe even it sounds better if I say to give pleasure and comfort and to take away pain. But you see, this would only be actualizing the ideal of the world for a few minutes. And the, the person is dependent on you. 
and pretty soon you'll have a chain around your neck. And there's people that could understand and could work and have come to the point where they have questioned the whole purpose of living. In other words, they're challenging mammon. But the other one is still serving mammon, and they're still doing everything possible to gain pleasure and escape pain. And they are the ones that will tempt you. You see, mammon uses them, I think, to bring them around to see if you will get caught trying to be helpful, which, of course, is to get back into the world again, to be serving the world. Certainly one is not discourteous. Certainly one is kind. But one continues to discuss, let's set the problem aside, or let's understand the problem. Now, you are saying, of course, that you're in all this misery, but let's understand the problem. Then we go back to what a problem is. There is only one thing the person can really call a problem. That is conflict, that is struggle, resistance. They're synonyms, one and the same. One must be in a conflict with what is because it is not what ought to be. One is struggling to change what is into what one thinks ought to be to achieve the ideal. Or one is resisting any second force, any resistance to what one is has initiated and wants to do because that was what would make one pleasurable and comfortable. You see, if one isn't looking for the ideal, there is no such thing as second force interfering with what they've initiated because just there's a series of events and they can respond to event by event. So let's take a note of what is a problem. This is on a page because there will be people constantly, frequently inquiring of you and they will have problems. So what is a problem? Problem is one. Conflict, struggle, resistance. How does it come about? when there is the belief in an ideal in the struggle towards what ought to be, then of course there is conflict, struggle, and resistance because one is struggling towards an illusion. Now, of course, in order to understand the problem, one understands that the person is in a conflict, struggle, resistance. This person begins to see that this is the nature of their problem, one of those three aspects of the one resistance. And then they begin to understand the problem. They might begin to see that the ideal is an illusion. If anyone sees the ideal is an illusion, they immediately have to question the purpose of living. If they see that the ideal is an illusion, that it is a purely a product of imagination or suggestion from someone else's imagination, that over the years we have built up these ideals and when a person starts to understand the problem rather than solve the problem. So you might make another note. There is no attempt ever made to solve a problem. There is never an attempt made to solve a problem. Third, that the effort is to understand the problem. Fourth, that the problem is always conflict, struggle, and resistance between what is and what the person says ought to be or the ideal. You see, everything comes out with a problem or a flaw if one has an ideal. Now, the ideal is not real. It's an illusion. It is a fantasy. 
Sometimes you might find it useful to make a little picture. On your one side, about two-thirds of the way down the page, put what is. And up on the other side, about a third of the way down from the top, put what ought to be. What is, of course, can be question of anyone, is creation, is it not? Well, yes, that's, that's agreeable. Now, what ought to be is uncreated. So uncreated goes under what ought to be. And if anything is created, it does exist. Yes, it exists, that's right. Anything that ought to be, that's uncreated, does not exist. Then under what is, which is creation, and it does exist, one would have to say it's a fact. Yes, it's a fact. On the other side, is it a fact? No, it's not a fact. It's uncreated, doesn't exist. It's an illusion. Okay. Then what is fact is truth. Yes. And on the other side, the other words all says it's a false impression. And one might get someone to see that they're struggling towards the pot of gold at the foot of the rainbow that what is, is real, is fact, is truth. What ought to be, is uncreated, is a fantasy, is imagination, is an illusion, and that one builds a stairway from one to the other and tries to achieve by going to the non-existent, to a fantasy land, something that only exists as a product of imagination, some ideal state, and if one works with people, this is sometimes a starting point. Sometimes a starting point is the picture of man as he was designed and then as he is, that beautiful parable that tells the story of everybody's life in a very close parallel, starting with the conclusion that the whole purpose of living was to be non-disturbed and following it on one by one as he builds them up, and seeing then that the struggle and conflict and resistance is all within and that there is no such thing as a problem out there. But above all, we want to be aware of the self. The self will want to solve the problem and I will observe and see that there is no problem and I will take over the interview and begin to work with the person. It may and may not be that the person will ever awake sufficiently at the moment, at least, to begin to really work, to begin to observe self. They may still be so entranced with the idea of the problem because it is not what ought to be, that they can't do a thing now. But one day they'll be back again. In the meantime, one has not produced any harm anyway. One has only pointed out that let's study the problem, not look for a solution. And as one works, and this rep, one finds a certain number of people who honestly will use the work, who will see the beauty of it, see the value of it, and really apply it. One will be spared many which only want someone to make them comfortable. You can maybe become, if you're not careful, and watch this trap, a mother figure or a father figure to someone, and they come to you for every comfort that they can conceive of. And if any time you're not available to comfort them, they will turn and rend you. So one doesn't get caught in 
solving problems. One will work with understanding problems. One will work with anyone who wants to understand the problem. One always seems to find time. You may wonder why this is being discussed. You already have had a few people wanting to talk to you because if you have applied the work, as you have diligently observed the self, you look like a different person. And some way or other, you attract those people who realize there's a light and they want the light, but they don't know how to ask for it. And then there is others that just have seized the light and are greedy to get it. And, of course, one must see who belongs in the outer school and who can work on inner levels and advance to more worthwhile work that are actually candidates for transformation and those which are only candidates for mammon. Because mammon has far more servants than life does. And think you have observed that before now, that mammon has a greater number of servants than life does. Life has few, and mammon has many. But all mammon does is consume them, and life evolves them, transforms them, makes them creative, <coughs> makes them bear tremendous, wonderful fruit. So as one observes this, one sees who serves. But what we are basically discussing is to be aware that it is possible to be harmful and, and also both to the other and to self. Because if one is harmful, one is caught back in working towards an ideal. And whether you're working towards the ideal for this one or for one out there, it's all the same. One got caught by mammon.